want to thank you for your condolences that you expressed to myself in the passing of my mother in the middle of July. Uh, many of you expressed some uh, thoughts and prayers and really appreciate that. A uh, number of us in our family, our family was able to uh, go out to California to uh, be with her home going. And I'm glad that my son, who's a connection to Tyndale Seminary student here, Joshua, and also Natalie, his wife, uh, and uh, admissions was able to go, as well as our, my wife and uh, daughter and uh, son-in-law. So again, very uh, glad that you could support me and uh, our extended family in that special time of loss. Uh, of course, uh, with the loss of a family member, still processing that and you know, let, letting that sink in, uh, as we went through the house to, uh, to uh, kind of clean it up, we were able to find mementos, which probably you could find in the antique stores. Uh, she lived in the same, they lived in the same house for probably 60 years, and there was a lot of little items and even a little bit of my history that I was able to discover. I was a Cub Scout. I don't know if they have that here, but it's before you go be a Boy Scout, and there's little patches and and things that were there. But it was a good, again, a good time of processing. In this passage uh, in John chapter 3, it speaks of the friend of the bridegroom. And today we would think of that person as the best man who has a number of responsibilities. I don't know if, if some of you have been a best man. You know there's been a lot of different weddings over the spring and summer. But in a uh, internet search, I found what is the role of the best man. So here are some suggestions if you have done this or uh, will do this or, of course, have seen this best man at work. First of all, be low-key. It's the bride's and the groom's day. No one appreciates the best man who tries to upstage the couple. Okay. Uh, second is pay attention to the details. The bride and groom will be busy with the wedding preparation and the wedding day. And if you can, handle the details for the groom. Get the ring from him ahead of time. Know the schedule of events. And third is to hold the, and handle the ring smoothly. Produce them at the right time. Otherwise, you're going to end up on an episode of Americans' Funniest Home Videos. <laughs> so uh, that could, be, could happen. And uh, goes on to say, assuming that you'll be doing a toast, spend a little time drafting and practicing it. A rambling, bumbling toast is awkward and insult insulting. Uh, related to that, don't get drunk before the speech, LOL. <laughs> so that's a good practical reminder for the best man. And I like this one, suggestion, don't faint. <laughs> sometimes grooms or sometimes the best man or others may have some difficulty with that. So in this passage, it's quite interesting where we see the role of John the Baptist as one who he called himself the friend of the bridegroom, and which we will see is like the best man of those days. Here uh, in this section, which is only in the Gospel of John and not in the other synoptics, helping us to give us some more insight, particularly about the ministry of John and the ministry of Jesus uh, during this time, simultaneously having a time of baptism. Uh, often, John is called the Baptist to distinguish him between John the Apostle, the author of this gospel. And for us Baptists, yay, you know, oh, we see Baptists in the scripture. Now, of course, um, it's often described as John the Baptizer, which 
represents his role of preparing the way for the Lord. Uh, people that would repent and prepare their hearts and show that through this ceremonial cleansing of baptism. But actually, I like Fred Craddock, who I was reading his commentary, uh, who, who was a teacher of preachers. He described, he says, John, but more appropriately, John the witness. And I like that because certainly in the Gospel of John and the early sections that describe the John that did the baptizing, he was one who testified about Jesus. And so as he developed his calling, as we see in John chapter 1, being the forerunner to Jesus Christ, he testified about him, his role being the Messiah. And so we see that as very important. The disciples here in John 3, after the episode of, of uh, Jesus and Nicodemus, are going uh, further to uh, the area of Judea to do uh, baptizing, of course, teaching and preaching. Probably there were six of the disciples that are mentioned from John 1, 35 to 51. But here Jesus uh, actually did not baptize, it says in chapter 4, verse 2, but his disciples did. Can you imagine someone who says, well, I was baptized by Jesus, and someone else says, oh, I was baptized by one of the disciples. But uh, that's a way that I think prevented Jesus from uh, for people identifying just with his himself and being the one that they were baptized. John was baptizing uh, further north. And this was the time, it, it says in uh, verse 24, before uh, John was put in prison. So it gives us a time framework here, sometime after Jesus' temptation between Matthew 4, 11, and 12, and the other events, and of course, before later, uh, the beheading of uh, John the Baptist in uh, Matthew 11. So here we see that um, uh, Jesus was involved in baptizing. John was involved in baptizing. And this was happening simultaneously. Of course, this isn't the Christian baptism, but a baptism that identified uh, for repentance and identified people with the Messiah. But here we see uh, what came up was, it says a certain Jew came to the disciples and was asking them about this, what was so special about John's baptism? How did it relate to the Jewish ceremonial cleansing? And that question is really not answered specifically here, but we learn from the example of John's disciples. And I would say we learn from their poor example first, because uh, what they said was describing, um, describing uh, Jesus, uh, John's uh, baptism, and uh, Jesus in, as well. And it says that an argument developed among some of John's disciples about the matters of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Well, they were saying, we've got some competition. The person that you talked about is doing baptism. And in fact, disciples were going from their camp and going to Jesus' camp. In fact, they don't even mention Jesus' name. They said, that man, the man that, of course, uh, John testified about, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 
and pointed people to Jesus. But they're saying, in fact, exaggerating, everyone is going to him. Everybody is going from uh, us to them or following this person more than being a disciple of John like they were. And I believe that there's a note of envy here, envy that uh, pricks at their hearts because they saw other people going. There was like people who do a church planting and then they say, oh, somebody else over there is doing another church plant and somehow they are becoming more successful or prosperous. In fact, some people are going from our group and going out to their group and you know, how do we get them back? How can we become more productive, more successful? And um, we have to realize that different groups have a different calling, maybe a different uh, types of ministry and different emphases. So that's something that we have to uh, watch out for in our own hearts, the heart of envy, whether that takes place in uh, a, a context of a church setting, maybe it takes place in a family setting, uh, might take place among coworkers where you see someone gets a new position or is promoted. And we think, well, how come I was passed over or why was I neglected? And it's very easy to uh, not to rejoice in the good fortunes and the goodness of other people because we often look back at ourselves and say, well, what happened to me? And I believe that's similar to what the disciples were doing. They were looking at these other disciples that were going out. In fact, maybe saying a little bit more to the prominence of, of Jesus uh, more than the prominence of John. And so this is a, an aspect that we want to be aware of and uh, be a little bit concerned about uh, our types of, of attitudes. How do, we, uh, how do we respond when other people have happy events? Uh, they're married, have children, they get a new uh, dwelling or a house. Are we happy for them? Are we kind of envious and say, well, what about me, poor old me? And I didn't receive the same things. So it, it's important to take a look at their example and be aware of our own hearts, and which can be quite envious. But we also see in contrast this good example of, of John because he was the one who didn't say, okay, you know, I'm starting my own new movement here. It's, uh, it's a new fashion movement of camel hair. You know, I'm going to be wearing these camel hair garments. All the disciples, you know, you could wear these as well. And this is my new diet. You know, it's going to be wild honey and locusts. Wow, you know, like, here's, it's going to be helpful for your health. And so he wasn't like that. He wasn't one that promoted his own lifestyle, who focused his, his, on his own teaching. In fact, we see that he was the one that would be focusing the attention away from himself and onto Christ. And so that is certainly uh, our example, our good example that we need to follow. He talks about that. Uh, he talks about everything is sourced in the Lord. A person can receive only what he has given them from heaven. And so we think about our background, his miraculous birth and heritage. Uh, we also think about his, um, his calling, his calling to, it says, that I am not the Messiah or the Christ, 
but I am one who's that voice calling in the wilderness, prepare and make the way for the Lord. And then, of course, he also describes himself as this friend to the, uh, to the bridegroom and having a very important role in relationship to that. Uh, so this, having this source in God, who, knowing who he was, I'm not the Messiah, knowing who uh, he, he was in relationship to being a witness, to testify, to prepare the way of the Lord. And so these were the important dimensions that he would focus on in terms of being the disciple uh, truly of Christ. And uh, the friend of the, of, in a Jewish wedding, or the best man, their role was present the bride to the bridegroom. <clears throat> they presided <clears throat> at the wedding, and it's mentioned they guarded the bridal chamber from all false intruders. So they had some very important roles here as this friend of the bridegroom. The focus here in this passage is not on the bride. It's the relationship of the bride, uh, the friend, who is John, to the bridegroom, Christ. Of course, the aspect of the bride of Christ is developed later by Paul in the, in the epistles. So um, we don't want to import a lot of those type of things here, but focus on this important relationship of the uh, friend or the best man and the bridegroom. And so he talks about in this passage that, that he's going to rejoice. They rejoice at the welfare of the, of the bridegroom. And we couldn't imagine that there would be a, this best man. And, and I was looking this up and they were saying, oh, why is the best man called the best man? You know, if the best man should be the, the groom or what's this role of the best man? But the best man here is really to help and focus on, in the sense, his role to help the groom. And I think we could see this analogy to be the eyes, the ears, the hands, and the feet of the bridegroom, to provide assistance, to be that for Christ in the world. And I think we can see that by analogy in terms of um, having our role. But rejoicing in this special role in relationship to the groom. In fact, verse 30, this um, kind of the climax of this section here, you know, he must become greater, I must become less. Uh, I think that's become the theme verse or the life verse of many people. Uh, we often hear it in an older version, he must increase, I must decrease. That's a great affirmation of the humility of John. He talks about you know, not uh, able to, 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 uh, to, to serve. He serves Christ. He's not even worthy to untie you know, sandal of, um, and the latch the latchet of his sandal. So he had that heart of humility. Christ becoming greater, we becoming less. I was thinking about an analogy. So I was thinking about a copy machine, how we might enlarge certain things to make it more prominent or place it on a, on, on, to edit and format. So we want that, or we think Christ's name, to become more prominent ourself. You know, we want to reduce it down in size, self. 
becomes less prominent. And I think for our Christian, living out our Christian lives, that's a great direction. How can Christ become more prominent in our lives and ourselves become less prominent? I came across this quotation, great leaders don't think less of themselves, they just think of themselves less. Now let that sink in. Great leaders don't think less of themselves, they think of themselves less from Ken Blanchard and Mark Miller, Great Leaders Grow. Uh, Another commentator wrote, only a great man can accept his own demise with joy. (laughs) His own demise, getting less and less. And then, how is this done? How does Christ become more prominent in our lives, becoming greater and we becoming less? I believe that has to do with how we talk. Are we always talking about ourselves? Are we asking questions, maybe following up on things about other people and their concerns? Many people are involved in Twitter, and those are places where people make a lot of statements and comments. But a lot of that can be, and there's ways of having more self-promotion. How can you get more followers? And uh, again, we have to take a look at our motives for our own social media usage. Are we trying to, again, put our focus on Christ as an instrument to serve Christ or for self? Um, I asked one person, you know, why are you taking on this responsibility? It's, uh, you know, you're already doing quite a bit of things. And the person said, it'll look good on my resume. Wow, you know, like having a motive that not because it's, it's helpful or good or right, but just because it's good on the resume is not the best motive. So as we think about, you know, talk more about God's work in our lives, letting Christ be the center, uh, asking the Lord to purify us, asking the Lord for direction in our lives, helps to have that focus, letting Christ be more prominent in our lives, seeking the Lord's direction day by day. And so as we think about this passage, uh, John, he made Christ his focus. Other people may want him to be more prominent, but he deflected that and said, well, how can Christ take a greater place in our lives? And I'd like you to, as we close, I'll have a word of prayer, but uh, I'd like to spend just a couple of minutes, maybe one in twos or threes, and say, Talk about that a bit for five minutes. How can Christ become more prominent in my life or family or department? Something that may help us to process that a little bit more. Christ increasing, myself decreasing. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage, this scripture, this wonderful example of John and how he really saw his own role and fulfilled it. Give us, Lord, your joy and peace. I thank you for our dear brothers and sisters who serve you faithfully in the place that you have called them. They do not look to gain prominence, but they look to fulfill what you want for them. And I pray, Lord, you'll keep us humble. You will keep us dependent upon you every step of the way. And help us, Lord, to let's receive your joy as we put you first and serve you. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name.